the text for the sermon this morning, congregation, is Psalm 125. Psalm 125. And we read there the word of God as follows. The title above the psalm says, A Song of Ascents. In other words, one of the songs that the people of Israel sang before they, as they went up to the, one of the great feasts in Jerusalem. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. So far the song. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes you know it seems as if we as Christians are rowing against the stream in this world and in this life. More and more people are giving up on God and religion in the Western world in particular. And what is contrary to God's word is even becoming more and more acceptable and promoted in our society. You're not a good citizen if you call abortion or euthanasia or same-sex relationships as sin, sins according to the Bible. In fact, I just read an article in our local paper which criticizes Canadian Christians for spreading intolerance while giving aid and preaching the gospel in other places of the world. We're actually creating intolerance in those other places through our Christian mission and help. And sometimes you might wonder then, what, what is the use? What are we busy with as Christians then with our worship and our uh, organizations, all our busyness for, for the Lord. Why, why work to bring the gospel and show mercy to others and even try to build each other up in faith in the Lord then? Because the devil seems to be gaining on so many fronts. And as Christians, we feel ever, ever more marginalized. That can even worry you too. What does the future hold for the next generation of the church of Christ. For our children, grandchildren. There doesn't seem to be that much of a real future for committed Christianity in today's world and for the future. But listen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is there anything new under the sun? God's people have had to deal with those kinds of, of worries over the ages, from the beginning already, we could say. And this is exactly why our God inspired somebody, we don't know who, 
to write the words of Psalm 125. Because this psalm was written as an encouragement for God's people who lived in times exactly like the times we live in today. A time when it seems as if, as it says in this psalm, the scepter of the wicked holds so much power, of wickedness holds so much power. And I preached to you the Word of God in the text this morning with this theme then, God's people can have peace even when the scepter of wickedness does not rest. And this is because of, first of all, God's promise. Secondly, it's because of our hope in God. And thirdly, it's because of God's justice which will prevail. So first of all, God's people can have peace in this world in which the scepter of wickedness seems to have the sway because of the promise of God. Psalm 125, congregation, is a psalm of peace. That's how it ends. Peace be upon Israel. This psalm is a a psalm that wants to give God's people peace. And that peace spoken about in this psalm is remarkable if you consider the circumstances in which the psalm was written. The righteous were being oppressed by the wicked. In verse 3, the writer speaks about the scepter of the wicked, of wickedness, not resting on the land allotted to the righteous. It keeps working. Scepter implies control, government. Some interpreters suggest the psalm was written when Israel was under foreign domination. Maybe the Philistines or the Assyrians or so had conquered the land. Others think this psalm may have been written during the reign of one of Israel's numerous wicked kings like Jeroboam or Ahaz or Manasseh. After all, in verse 5, the psalmist speaks of those who turn aside to wicked ways, being led away with the workers of iniquity. And under wicked Israelite kings, the temptation for the righteous to use their hands to do iniquity, as described in verse 3, to take matters in their own hands, in other words, was, was great. So it's more likely that the land of Israel was being governed by one of its many godless kings or oppressed by a foreign power. You know that the kings, there were kings who introduced idolatry and the wickedness associated with that idolatry to Israel, and then the believers who protested were oppressed. So you can imagine the frustration of those believers, and they were being marginalized. They were being tyrannized. So it was easy to become afraid for the future of God's people, the future of the church. But the psalmist isn't anxious for the church. This psalm doesn't speak of fear or desperation. It exudes peace, quiet confidence. The psalmist says in verse 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. God's people are solid, stand on solid ground. How can this man say that? Is he overconfident? A wicked king is putting the screws to the believers so they don't know where to turn anymore. They're powerless. 
And this man sings of those believers as being immovable like Mount Zion. We'd be inclined to say this man is out of touch with reality. The believers are being pushed into a corner. How can he say that those who trust in the Lord cannot be moved? Well, he's not saying that on the basis of what those people are experiencing. But he's saying this on the basis of faith in God's promises. He speaks of those who trust in the Lord. Notice that Lord is written with capital letters there. And when Lord is written in capital letters, that, that actually the, the Hebrew word there is Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the God of covenant promise. And Mount Zion is the place where God lived among his people. And that mountain couldn't be shaken or moved by men. It symbolized God's rock-solid faithfulness to his covenant promises. And people who trust in the Lord then are, are people who cannot be moved, cannot be destroyed. And that's because of God's covenant with them, because they rely on his covenant promise. And God's promise is then expressed in verse 2 of this psalm. As the, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. The God of the, pro, uh, the covenant promised that he would always protect his own. That those who trust in him will never be put to shame. And to describe that promise, the psalmist uses the, points to the, the mountains around the city of Jerusalem. He uses them as an example. The city is surrounded, you know, by seven mountains, which form a sort of natural wall around the city. That's how the Lord is like a protective wall around his people, a spiritual wall of protection. And maybe you can think here of Elisha, the prophet who we're told in 2 Kings 6 was in the city of Dothan, surrounded by the chariots and army of Aram who wanted to destroy the prophet. Elisha's servant was afraid, and Elisha prayed to the Lord to open his eyes so he could see. And when the servant looked, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around that city of Dothan. That's God's promise. He will always be with those who put their trust in him. The gates of hell will not be able to overcome his church. Of course, if people don't trust in him, that protection also is taken away. The Lord gives those who don't trust him over to their enemies. But for those who look to him, he's an impenetrable wall around them. Even if they don't experience that as such, he is there. That's his promise. And God's people can trust that promise even when everything is going against them, he's still there like a wall around. Nothing can happen to them unless God deems it absolutely necessary for their good and their salvation. Think of that in all the struggles of your life. Nothing can happen to you unless God believes that it's good for you. God knows that it's good for you. And the whole Bible shows the truth of it. The Lord is faithful to his promise to keep his own, to preserve his church, even in and through time of trouble. No one who puts his trust in him 
in Scripture has ever been put to shame. In congregation, we know the ultimate basis and reality of God's faithfulness because that was displayed in, in, in His sending His Son to give His life for His own. Knowing Christ and His work for us, how can we doubt that God is like a wall around those who look to Him? If God gave up His Son for us, will He not give us all things with Him? That's why the church can never be moved and eliminated. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, too, those who trust in the Lord cannot be moved, also not today. God is like a wall around His people in the world today, too. This psalm is for believers, for the church of Christ today. As Christians, we live in, in frightening times, we could say. Scary times. Think of how the morals and values in our countries have changed over the past decades. How people have even become more and more intolerant of what the Bible teaches us is good and right. Think of how this intolerance towards Christians is being propagated via so much of the media today. Think of the public education system. Everything is taught from a humanistic, man-centered viewpoint. You're basically on your own if you trust in God and hold biblical values in college or university too. Think of how it's becoming more and more difficult for believers to find work that respects the day of rest. And don't think that the Christian church remains unaffected by all of this. How many churches haven't given in to the spirit of the age? I think we all realize we live in a, in a time of moral and spiritual decline. Let's face it. Satan is hard at work today. And it seems that he is, he is being successful in all he does. Can make you anxious. Anxious for the future of, of your family. Anxious for the future of the church. Anxious about yourself. Will you be able to stand in the future? Psalm 125 was written for us today too. We can sing this psalm today because the Lord, the God of the covenant, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people today. That's his promise. Through faith in his covenant, love and faithfulness in Jesus Christ, we can find peace in that, in that today too. Those who trust in him will not be moved. They are like Mount Zion. That, that promise is basically also expressed by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Romans 8. We read, if God is for us, who can be against us? We might have to deal with intolerance, maybe in the future even oppression, but nothing in heaven or on earth or anywhere else will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Congregation, this is how we can encourage each other as we move about and do our work and study the Bible here and are busy here in worship within, in, in the middle of an ever more secularized society at this time. Sometimes you wonder, what are we doing here? But our, our God and Father in Christ 
has promised to be with us, to care for us, to work all things for our good. That's his sure promise in Christ. People might think we're old-fashioned or even wrong if we hold fast to what the Bible says about creation or about morals and values, but our faith in God's covenant promise will not be put to shame. He will keep us, surround us, and bring to pass everything he says in his word. And that brings us to our second point. God's people can have peace in this world because of the hope that they have in God. Congregation, the psalmist says that God surrounds us with his care. And then in verse 3, he says, For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. In other words, the psalmist takes courage from, from this hope that the, the Lord is not going to let wickedness rule forever. The scepter of wickedness will not remain. He's going to put an end to the might of all who promote wickedness before the believers become dis completely discouraged. He'll put an end to the scepter of wickedness. Nowadays, as we mentioned before, a lot of wickedness is being pro propagated and promoted in this world and God's promise is being pushed aside and his people marginalized. Who knows what kind of a world we and our children will be living in 10 or 20 years from now. Maybe we won't even be able to speak out for our faith. God's people will end up being oppressed, maybe even, even imprisoned for standing for what we believe, the Bible. We, we hope not. Who knows, though? The trend is certainly in that direction. But congregation, we can be at peace. We can be at peace, joyfully at peace. The words of Psalm 125 are so positive. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. The righteous are those who love the Lord, who are upright in heart, those who look to Him for His grace. They want to serve God. They want to, by His Spirit, the work of His Spirit, and they, they want to stay faithful to His Word. Well, they won't be under the dominion of those who don't care about God forever. Today, it sometimes seems as if the wicked have all the, the power and the say and the resources. They basically control the media. They have the means. They have the political influence. The church is just a tiny minority. What are we doing here? just seems so small and, and, and weak and insignificant. God's people try to make themselves be heard, for instance, by, via the Association for Reformed Political Action in Ottawa and so on. But what, what is our voice actually against the thunder of the attitude of the age? Don't be fooled, though. Don't be fooled. Those who promote godlessness and wickedness they do not have the power, the ultimate power. The Lord does. The Lord our God. He controls history. Everything is in his might, so completely in his might. He lets wickedness go so far and no further. He only gives, he only gives those who promote it as much room to do their work as his people can endure. And in allowing that, he, he lets them bring judgment on themselves. He, he only allows the wicked to have power for so long because 
He wants to bring condemnation on them, but he doesn't want his people to be drawn into sin. As it says at the end of verse 3, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. He puts that, that limit on the influence of wickedness because he doesn't want his own people to be tempted beyond their strength. Oh, think, think, things could get quite difficult for believers, yet it's happened in the past, the time this psalm was written. Happened after, can happen again. The Lord Jesus told his disciples that many false prophets would arise to lead many astray, and if those days were not shortened, nobody would be saved. But for the sake of his elect, those days will be shortened, cut short. The thing is, the Lord will never, ever allow the wicked to go so far as to wipe out his church. The scepter of wickedness will not be able to win, will not be victorious. Sometimes it might look that way. It's just an illusion, congregation. It's just an illusion. The kingdom of God will prevail. The victory belongs to Jesus Christ, after all. Note, by the way, that the psalmist says that the scepter of the wicked shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Now, the psalmist, of course, was thinking of the land of Palestine, which was allotted to the people of Israel by God's promise. That was their inheritance. That was their, their own inheritance. Today, though, the land allotted to the righteous is not just a little country in the world. It's the, the world itself. The universe is promised to believers. In Christ, we're heirs of all created things. And in the future, then, the scepter of wickedness will disappear from the face of the earth. And then the earth will be filled with the righteousness and glory of the Lord. And everyone will serve God, and every mouth on earth will give him glory. The world will be cleansed of all evil through the fire of God's judgment and it will be given to the children of God as an inheritance, as their inheritance in Christ. The cause of the church which was condemned by so many will be seen by all to have been the cause of the Son of God as we confess in the last article of the Belgian Confession. When everybody is standing there, then people will realize this was the truth. And this was falsehood. And that hope, congregation, should give us peace in today's ever more secularized world, becoming more and more unfriendly to those who love the Lord. We might wonder sometimes where we're headed as Christians. Is it any use to speak up for Christ and his righteousness? What is the voice of, of the church over against the thunder of the world? We support something like ARPA, Association for Reform Political Action. What is its voice? Just a tiny little voice, but congregation, the power of the scepter of the wickedness is only given so much time and, and space by the Almighty. He only lets it go so far because he doesn't want his people to, to fall and his church to disappear. He only allows that wickedness until... It becomes a danger for the hearts of his elect. He has the power 
And so righteousness will always prevail. The cause of the righteous will be victorious. It will be victorious because Christ has obtained the ultimate victory for all his own. So with God, we're always on the winning side. We're always on the winning side. We just have to speak and do what we can in our own place, our own little place, but always realizing we're on the winning side here. Even if it seems we're losing, we're actually winning. Come to the last point. God's people may have peace in this world because of the justice of God. In the last verses of Psalm 125, brothers and sisters, the psalmist goes over to a kind of prayer. Verse 4, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. And as for those, as for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. The psalmist here expresses the confidence that God will sort everything out and do justice. Justice will prevail. He looks forward to when the believers will see the reward of their faith and their life of faith and when the wicked will be banished from the land forever. He longs for God to come with his justice and give each according to what he or she has done. Everything will come out right in the end. The upright will receive the reward of their faith in the Lord and his grace. He prays for that. And the wicked will receive the reward for their evil deeds. He is certain of that. Verse 5 is a kind of confession of that. He's filled with holy joy that those who hate God and work iniquity will be sent away with will be sent away for good. Now we don't have that much trouble with longing for and praying for the vindication of the upright in heart. Verse 4, but the, the psalmist's desire for the punishment of the wicked, verse 5, is something that might be, that sound, sounds kind of strange to us. It's not something people like to hear about today. We live in a, in a time of tolerance, uh, a time in which people want to leave room for different ideas and so on. Everybody should be respected for who they are, no matter what they think or say or do. There are no absolutes. So therefore, tolerance for everyone except for, for the Christian faith. So it, it sounds strange, maybe even offensive, when the church sings about the destruction of the workers of iniquity, as Psalm 125 does. I believe that there are churches that don't like to sing psalms because of this. It's Old Testament stuff to desire the banishment of the wicked. It should be all about love, 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 but this psalm is certainly for the New Testament church too, congregation. There's something wrong if we're not upset and offended in heart by the rejection of God's word and the rebellion of God's will by so many. Do we really see it as an awful thing that the Lord our God is being insulted and dishonored by so many today? Does it irk us to no end? Brothers and sisters, if we really believe God's promise to be a wall around his people, and if we really hope in the full revelation of the victory of Christ's kingdom, then we're going to have passion for his cause, won't we? See, the, the danger is real that we're sort of ambivalent about it. We become kind of 
tolerant of the abuse of God's name and the rebellion against his goodwill. The danger is maybe that we're more worried about our own well-being than about the Lord's glory. And that's why we need to keep this psalm in mind. Sing it, too. The whole thing. Not only about God surrounding his people like the mountains around Jerusalem, but also about God doing justice to the workers of iniquity and banishing them forever. For if we really love the God of the covenant from the heart, we can't stand it when he's rejected, despised, insulted by anyone, can we? Then we're going to yearn for, for the time when he'll, he'll show himself and do justice on the earth and lead into condemnation those who walk in crooked ways. And that means longing for Christ's return in glory to judge the living and the dead and to bring his own into his kingdom of peace. That's what we live and work for, isn't it? That's why we're here in worship today, isn't it? Because we're sure of the Lord and his kingdom and his victory and his justice in Christ. Well, if we hold on to that in this ever-changing world and we encourage others to follow that too, we'll always have peace too, together. We trust we're safe with the Lord no matter what. And we'll know that we're always more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. Let's sing in response to the proclamation, Psalm 125, 1, 2, 3, and 4. <clears throat> 